Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. Hello there. Welcome to Skeptics and Believers, a paranormal podcast. On this episode, we will be discussing Area 51 legend Bob Lazar. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy the show. Yes, welcome to another episode of Skeptics and Believers. This time, for the first time in a long time, we are all together at Skeptic Manor. Oh, have we all graded from Skeptic Lodge, have we? Oh, yeah. Wasn't it? What did we start off with? It was Skeptic Lodge. It was Skeptic Lodge, wasn't it? With yeah, the fireplace. Now this is Skeptic Manor. Skeptic Manor. Well, okay, that's nice. I'm looking forward to moving to Skeptic Villa at some point in the Ooh. Algarve. Yes. <laughs> Skeptic Castle. Slightly warmer. Yeah. <laughs> So we're all here together in person, face to face, sharing germs, catching COVID. <laughs> and this week we are going to be discussing Bob Lazar. And for those who don't know who Bob Lazar is, let us tell you. So Bob Lazar is an American who claims that during the 1980s, he worked for a top secret government body working at a facility within the Area 51 compound known as S4, which is allegedly 15 miles south of Groom Lake, where Area 51 is, and is in the side of a mountain. So Bob Lazar claims that in 19, I think 1982, he was working for Los Alamos National Laboratory working on development of nuclear weapons and that he went to a seminar being held by a guy called Edward Teller, who apparently was something to do with the atomic bomb. Okay. And Edward Teller apparently knew who Bob Lazar was because Bob Lazar had been putting jet engines into his Honda cars. Right, okay. And it had been on the front page of the Los Alamos News about, you know, local man drives jet-powered car. Local crazy man tries to local kill himself. Crazy man, yeah. yeah. So that Bob Lazar then had this conversation with Edward Teller and they got on all right. And he was saying, oh, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to work with you. And he was like, well, if you ever want some work, just, you know, get in contact with me and I'll put you in contact with someone. So skip forward a few years and Bob Lazar sent this guy a letter to say, I'm looking for a job. And he was then put in contact with this government agency and he had a couple of job interviews. So he got the job and the first day of his job, he was told to go to... McCarran Airport, which is in Las Vegas, to go to a certain gate. And he was put on a plane and his plane was flown out into the desert. And this is where his story kind of, he says his first day he spent just doing paperwork. Wow, you've got to you know, onboard just, you know, somebody, doing, haven't you? Doing his when they start. Makes sense, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's you know, some kind of like... You've got to learn where the, the fire assembly points are. Got to fill in your pension paperwork. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, you know. But at this point, all he knew he was going to be doing was working on a project to do with a flight propulsion system. That's all he knew. So then the next day he was taken to S4. So he said that he was flown out on these Janet flights. So for anyone who doesn't know what Janet flight is, it's these, I think they're 737s that fly out of Las Vegas to Area 51. They're just like a plain white aircraft with a red stripe down the side. Why are they called Janet flights? I don't know. I think it's a nickname they've been given. Janet, like the name, like lady. Yeah, like a lady. Oh, okay. Anyway, so he, the first day he went there and he said that he was taken to this side of a mountain with these like hangar doors that were open and walked inside and inside this hangar was a flying saucer. And as he described it, it was a, he said it was like anthracite disc when they put like an American flag on the side of it. Of course they have. Of course and they did, yeah. his first thought was, well, that explains all the UFO sightings 
you know, Americans have developed this. Oh, so he just assumed aircraft. it was legit. Yeah. Ah. Developed this aircraft and I'm going to be working on it. Um, in, he then was partnered up with a guy who he calls Barry, who was his, his lab partner. And their job was to work on the propulsion system for this aircraft. And this is where it starts getting weird because the propulsion system as he described it, it was like a, a, a hemisphere over a, he described it as being like a, almost a bit like a mushroom, really, a hemisphere that sat on top of a, like a rectangle of metal. Yeah, in the in the diagrams, that's what it looked like. It was kind of like a, half a ball sat on a vase. Yeah. Yeah. But the, that it cre- created anti-gravity. And that when he tried to place his hands on top of this hemisphere, he c- physically couldn't, like two magnets he pushing against it. each other. Yeah. Oh. So he knew something was amiss. So this was 1988. So claims to have worked at S4 between 1988 and 1989. So in his, in his six months of working there, he claims that he worked on this anti-gravity propulsion system with Barry for the majority of it. Good old Baz. That he witnessed nine different spacecraft at the facility, all different shapes and sizes, and that he only once spent a day within... So they had an assigned saucer to work on. And he said, it, I think he said it was about 32 feet in diameter. 10 metres. Ten, 10 and a half metres. Okay. And then it was, it was clearly designed, he said, he's five foot 10 and it was clearly designed for someone to be about half his height. Children. Yeah, children or oh, greys. Okay. Oh, oh, straight into greys. Yeah. Straight into greys. But when, when he was in there, you know, he said that there were no right angle surfaces couldn't tell if it was made from like ceramic or metal. Everything was just very smooth. One single color, the same color as the outside of the craft. And that there were three seats around this central kind of plinth where the, the propulsion system, this anti-gravity system. So that's, that sits in the middle of the, of yeah. the spacecraft, but inside like the kind of... Yeah. Bio- okay. Yeah. Right. But he only worked on it the once. And he also witnessed it in flight once as well. So where, at, w- at what point did it go from him looking at it and thinking, oh, the Americans have made a spacecraft to, oh, this is a bit funky. Where's this come from? So he claims that he was given limited information about the, the craft, where it had come from, how, expect, how they yeah. got their hands on it. He, did, he doesn't know how long they've had the craft for or any of the nine that he saw. He said that one of them, one of them he said looked like a jelly mould. Yeah, what, one of them was termed archaeological. Yeah. Like they dug it up. They dug it up and it had yeah. been there for a long, long time. A long, long time. There was another oh. one that he said was on its side, on its edge, and it had like a, a hole in it where they either tried firing stuff at it or uh. it had been shot down. So all similar disc-shaped kind of like flying saucers in inverted columns. Sort of saucers, yeah, but he said, you know, they were all different sizes oh. and shapes. They weren't, no two were the same. Oh, Okay. So he doesn't know where they where they got them from, but the one that he was working on, I think he said came from the Zeta Reticuli system, he was told, but he said where they got that information from, he doesn't know. Yeah, how would you know no one that? Tell him. Wow, this is the thing, isn't it? So Did they leave the sat-nav on? Clearly. just They left a map on the, on the seat. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't, like you said, he didn't know how long they'd had them for, how long they'd been working right. on them for. Okay. So they could have had them 50 years, they could have had them five years. So it's like a bit of a kind of need-to-know basis. Yeah. Right, okay. So how long did he work on it for? So he worked on it for six months. So okay. what happened was, for anyone who is interested in Bob Lazar and his story and can put up with listening to Joe Rogan, then I would suggest listening or watching the Joe Rogan experience with Bob Lazar on it because I, I find him quite plausible when I'm watching him. 
talking. Well, of course of, you of do. How you find everyone plausible. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but how he's coming across and everything. But he's saying that part of the contract, because it was a top secret contract he was working on, they have to agree to have their, their phone lines tapped. And that what he didn't know was that his wife was having an affair with a flight instructor. Ooh. And that they knew this, but they needed to make sure that he was of sound mind and wasn't going to do anything crazy. So he was taken off the project. So he was wondering what was going on and started to get a little bit kind of antsy about it. And because he knew about the test flight schedule for the saucer, so he'd witnessed this saucer once take off under its own power. He said it was, it was mostly silent with this kind of blue iridescence underneath it that disappeared once it got higher. Who was flying it? With children. No, so he said he doesn't he doesn't know who was flying it, but they were talking to someone on a radio who was within the craft flying it. Okay. But the interesting he said thing he said was because it uses anti gravity, the radio wave shouldn't have been able to penetrate the, the craft, but somehow they did through he, he he described it as being borderline magic, was how he describes the, the technology. Sounds like that fucking magic, doesn't it? That's sounds very scientific that yeah. for a nuclear propulsion expert to say it looked like magic. So because Bob was a little bit worried about what's gonna could potentially happen to him. He decided to, in a way, protect himself. So he went and told his friends, hey, you know, I've got this job. Well, this is what I've really been doing. And if we go out to the desert on this night, we can watch this craft flying about. So he did. He took some friends out. Six friends went out there with a camcorder and actually recorded it. And the footage is out there on YouTube. So you can see the footage of this this light just doing crazy things in the sky. And bear in mind, this was filmed in like 1989, on the VHS camcorder. They filmed it three times. And if you want to see footage of it, if you search S4 video, Bob Lazar on YouTube, you can see them. But there were some other things that actually, with regard to Bob, that I do think, like Mike was saying, he's very, he's very credible when you're listening to him. But he, some of the things that he claims to have seen, technologies that were associated with the, the flying saucers, one of them has now become a, a kind of a, a well-known piece of technology. And that was biometric scanning. And he claims that the, the, the ship had technology which would scan a human hand. And that is pretty much, you know, how biometrics now work. He also claims that the, the, uh, the craft was powered by something called Element 115, which again is now a known piece of... It was, it was known then, or it was, it was theorised already. Because generally what happens with chemical elements is that they, 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 they're known to exist, but not necessarily be present on Earth or able to be synthesised. And it was synthesised in 2003, I think. 2004. 2004, and it's Muscovium, isn't it? That's what, that's what Element 115 and the periodic table be- it became. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure Bob Lazar said that's not the same thing as what he considers to be element 115 because the element 115 that he may or may not have some of, which we might come on to in a bit, <laughs> uh, the element 115 that he claims to may or may not have any of is stable in the form that he, that he has seen it. Whereas, it, you know, humans have never been able to create a stable version of it. It's very radioactive and it, it just expires really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll get on to that bit. Okay. So the third time he went out with his friends, apparently he said that they got really careless and stupid. You know, he was in his 20s. They went out there with a, like a, a Winnebago and were joking about storming the, the base and breaking into the base. 
and in his story goes that he noticed these this kind of green light fall on the floor near him. And when they turned the lights on the camper van, there was just a load of like army guys with night vision who'd been listening in on their conversation. And he got pulled into a, a meeting, a debriefing the following day, uh, where they, they told him about the affair his wife was having and read a transcript to the, the phone conversations and also effectively fired him from his job, telling him that bad things were going to happen to him, uh, you know, breaking the, the contract he'd signed and telling people about all this top secret stuff. Well, yeah, you'd think there'd be like NDAs and stuff, wouldn't you? Yeah. Have we- was, he, was he ever arrested or convicted or sued or... He, he was convicted in 1990. Yeah. But that was for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Well, you can't hold that against him. No, that, that's... That, well, I mean, you can, obviously, in a court of law, but that wouldn't necessarily make him any less plausible just because he likes prostitutes. But he was also found guilty in 2006. Both him and his wife were charged with violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act for shipping restricted chemicals across state lines as well. Yeah, well, he runs a... Um, he runs a lab. Yeah, he runs a like a hazardous chemical company, doesn't he? There was, I know that, and again, we might talk more about this later, but there was, a, there was an FBI raid on his home, which he thinks or stated that he thought was linked to them trying to look for evidence of him having some of this element 115 but the fbi obviously they they keep records Uh, there was a freedom of information act request put in for information around it and it was actually linked to a murder investigation because they were checking to see if he'd sold a chemical to somebody who would used that chemical to murder their wife so the fbi say so the fbi say well let's see i mean (laughs) can you trust them I don't well, know. He, I think at the time he was manufacturing fireworks. That's what he was using, I think, some of the chemicals for. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, this, this all happened while he was being filmed for a documentary. So he's not working for them at this point. So no. So he's the, kind this, of, this, they, was, this was 2017. He got raided by the FBI. Oh, okay. Recently. Mm, yeah, okay. very yeah. recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so he's sacked because they've caught him filming and talking yeah. to his mates about... Yeah, and what's going on? Because and then- because he feared for his safety, he he turned to the only investigative journalist in Las Vegas who was well known, which is a guy called George Knapp, who he's he's had like you know kind of like a close working relationship with ever since. And George Knapp's the one who broke the story initially with Bob Lazar being you know kind of silhouetted in a van and them asking him questions. Did he have like a made up voice so he couldn't no. recognise his voice like when no, they used no, to interview no, 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 Jerry no. Adams? No, the, the footage of that's in the documentary and it, it quite clearly is him. You can see that you, from the silhouette, you can see that it's Yeah, once you know it's him. That's, that's, yeah. quite, that's quite poor hiding then, isn't it? Because surely anybody who worked there, you know, the feds, the, the, the shady government uh, branch that run S4 in Area 51, they wouldn't know. They'd be like, oh, that's Bob. Yeah. I've seen that yeah, guy yeah. before. That's a- <laughs> Obviously, he's coming for a lot of criticism because people say that he's a conspiracy theorist and that he's, he's just a hoaxer that he's made up all of this stuff because there's there's no record of him studying at MIT where he claims to have studied. There's or, no record of him at Or the Los California Alamos. equivalent because there's a, he, he said he's got yeah. two master's degrees. He, yeah. One yeah, he from said MIT, a, one from somewhere in Cali. Yeah, he had Caltech and MIT and they interviewed uh, a sample of 15 people all from the same year intake in both of those institutions and no one claimed to recognise the name or mugshot photos of Bob. Is that because the government have got to them? Have the men in black been round and, and wiped their brains? Quite possibly. You don't become a nuclear propulsion expert or scientist, let alone expert, kind of easily though. 
do you? Well, he, cl- you just, I th- he claimed. I think. Was he, w- he not doing that? Was that what he was? Is there proof of what he was doing prior to going to? He was putting S4? rockets in Hondas, apparently, is what yeah. we heard. <laughs> yeah, which he is was crazy. So I, I did a little bit of background digging on that, and yeah. and sure enough, yeah, there, there are there are archived news articles about Bob Lazar putting these jet engines into the you know these cars in the eighties. So he's got an he's got an interest in engines, but is he a nuclear? Prop- I mean, coming from, well, I mean, we're in Derby. This is where they make nuclear submarine engines and stuff. Hmm. So, bit of a link there. Surely it's not easy to become one of to those pre- or, scientists. Or to pretend to be one if you're not, because an actual one would quite quickly be able to see through any facade, wouldn't they? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're actually a nuclear propulsion specialist and someone claims to be one, you would know within minutes of talking to them if they're lying. Surely. So let's, let, let, let's assume that he is what he says he is. Yeah. Maybe maybe the source of his master's degrees is not what he says it is and that these two institutions have got more cred than where he may have actually got his master's from. I don't yeah. know. Did he actually get a job, though, at Area 51? Or do we... Th- do we think he's could he was, he he potentially was, be making it up from that point onwards? Well, he, he claims to have been working there under a contract, doesn't he, Mike, for yeah, however for long he was there. EG&G. Yeah. Um, they, I believe that the company that he was working for don't, so they, they deny all knowledge of him working for them. Right, okay. And I think that the only link to put him anywhere near the area is there's somebody with a similar name was in the phone book at the time. Yeah, well, it, uh, Lisa Robert Lazar in yeah. 1982. But that's seven years before... He would have been in here, but he may have had his phone number taken out because he was working for a top secret military installation. Who knows? So EG&G stands for Edgerton, Germa Schalzen and Greer Incorporated, who were a national defence contractor. Which makes sense. I find it odd, though, that you would have somebody that, that, the, that the government would bring external people in to work on something as top secret as possibly UFOs or possibly, you know, top secret developmental aircraft that they're creating rather than, you know, getting their own people in, especially someone who did you say he was in his 20s at the time? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who, who really is fairly fresh. Yeah. To have two master's degrees as well. Yeah. So I mean, it, yeah. he's only got to be, you know, they take a couple of years each, don't they? So interestingly, a subsidiary of EG&G is Janet Airlines. Oh. Well, there you go. I, I don't doubt that they work with the government based on the fact they're defence contractors. That all makes sense. But did Bob Lazar work for them? He says yes. They say no. But they would, wouldn't they, if they wanted to? He's yeah, arguing that, that what they've done is they're, they're trying to discredit him. So they've erased all kind of record of him working anywhere to discredit him. And to make him look like he's he's lying. But yeah. when I've watched, I watched this documentary that's been made by a guy called Jeremy Corbell, who claims that he's actually found someone who was at one of the, the academic institutions with Bob Lazar while he was studying it. But I've watched that documentary and I've watched the Joe Rogan podcast on YouTube and he's convinced me. Just the way he comes across, convinced me that he's telling the truth. Well, I, th- I think he's convinced himself. And it, it, it could be, it could be that he's, the thing like he was saying is he's, he doesn't follow the UFO stuff. He's not interested in UFOs. He didn't even really want to do the Joe Rogan podcast because it makes him anxious dealing with this stuff because of what might happen to him. And that, you know, he's, 
he's fed up of having to deal with crackpots who turn up outside his house and camp on his front lawn because they because you know, they want to know the truth from or, him. Or yeah. because they they said they know the truth as well and they want to talk to someone who also yeah another knows believer the truth. yeah. But coming out with all this stuff, it wasn't he wasn't just going to be able to just disappear, was he? And just pretend? Oh, I've just said it once, and I'm not going to have to talk about it again. I think it's more surprising if if this if this has got any element of truth, it is more surprising that he hasn't been disappeared. Well, yeah, because you know it, he's still he's still around. He's still think, think he's, about it though, right? If you if you were worked for a secret government agency. How do you know I don't? True. So if you worked for a secret government agency and you decide to be a whistleblower and come out and say, right, I've been, the government's got UFOs. I've been working on them. This is what I did. This is what I saw. This is what's happening. And then two weeks later, you vanished off the face of the earth. How is that going to look? Yeah, maybe not two weeks later, but at some point in the intervening 34 years that have take, that have occurred since then, yeah. he could have been disappeared if they yeah. wanted to shut they him up. They could have orchestrated or, some illness or something. Or yeah. would you discredit that person to use them as kind of anti-propaganda? Oh, yeah. yeah, and then yeah. I'd slip some polonium in their tea 10 years later to teach him a lesson. <laughs> No. I mean, I mean, I mean it, this is the American government. This isn't Russia. Yeah, well, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at something like 9-11, quite, I mean, and I'm not oh, saying... Oh, we're getting right in deep oh now. Oh, God. I, you know, I'm not saying it's a false flag or anything like that, but if you look at 9-11, quite a lot of people who were quite vocal about the things that they saw that day, some of them, you know, key workers, members of the military, members of the, you know, the fire service, the police... Quite a lot of them have died under questionable cancerous circumstances. But I'm, I'm in agreement with Matt on this one that I think given the time span, if he was really saying anything that was super credible, you know, they've had plenty of opportunity to off him. Yeah, or arrest him or, you know. Seem to silence him in one way. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I think is quite interesting is that when the Pentagon declassified in April 2020, quite a lot of footage of the US Navy, the US Air Force, tracking what looks like saucers and UFOs, there was he was surprisingly quiet. Yeah. I find that quite interesting. The government is literally putting its hands up and saying, There are we, some things we, that we, we don't know what they we, are. Yeah, we've yeah. seen some stuff. And well, yeah, Bob that, didn't say an awful lot. But that could be because he said that he's not you know, he's, he's, he's not, not interested, interested in that in, kind yeah, of stuff. He doesn't want the attention from it. But, he's ma- but he has made a lot of money from it. And I, I was, yeah, I was looking and one of the things that I thought was really funny is that he has licensed a model saucer to a large American publication. So it's one of these subscribe and every month you get a different bit oh, of the brilliant. saucer. The first, the first, the first one's only a pound. The first one's only a pound. That, then it's 60 quid. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. he, and he gets the royalties from the designs. Of course, yeah. Whereas really that should be going to somebody from uh, wherever that star system was that you mentioned, Mike. Zeta Reticula. Zeta Reticula. Is, yeah. Some, someone from there should be making the money for the design of that spaceship, surely. So, because one of the things I, I was interested to look for is that obviously there's other people that have worked. You know, these the, everyone knows Area 51, Groom Lake is there. We know it's there. Yeah. It's on Google Earth. You can see it. Yeah. But, but it's not necessarily full of aliens. No. So I found a story about a guy called Boyd Bushman, who in 2014 on his deathbed claimed that he worked at Area 51 uh, and worked on engineering projects like the anti-gravity UFOs. He'd seen aliens and that he described these aliens as resembling humans, approximately four and a half to five feet tall. They had three backbones, but they were they're mostly made up of cartilage and could communicate through telepathy. And he produced two pictures of the said aliens. Unfortunately for Boyd, though, that they were found that these aliens were actually toys from Walmart. 
Amazing. What? And that he also claimed that the aliens were from two two groups that were basically like Wranglers and... Levi's. No, it was basically like that they farmed cattle. <laughs> so there was one group, of, they were in two groups. One group were like the farmers, the other ones were like... The cows. You know, cattle thieves. Oh, right. Rustlers. Like, yeah. like cowboys. Space cowboys. Space cowboys. <laughs> but this guy did it literally on his deathbed, telling people about this stuff. So people came up going, oh my God, this guy's, you know, he's on his deathbed and he's saying that he worked at Area 51. And then it kind of all fell apart because okay, so, so, clearly this guy was just doing a... He's so, on a pint of methadone, probably. Yeah. So, so, so long, so long story Boyd short. Boyd Bushman. Boyd Bushman. He's not credible. No. But that doesn't mean that Bob Lazar isn't. True. Did he say he worked with Bob? No. No, he didn't. There must didn't. be... But I can't find, I couldn't find anything else to do with anyone saying that they've worked at. There must be hundred thousand of people who of have people worked, who yeah. have worked yeah. in that because it's such a big area, isn't it? Yeah. And on their kind of like separate sections of what is classed as Area Fifty One, but they kind of like they well, look that, at different yeah, things that, in different. Is that, that right? Whole facility, like different bunkers. They're like there's an area where they test nuclear weapons, chemical weapons. Right. There's Groom Lake with all the the aircraft stuff that they do. Yeah. And then this alleged S four. There literally must be thousands of people who have worked there over the last 40, 50 years, yeah. whatever it is. And, there, there, was, and- there was one point of credibility, though, and that was there was a gentleman called Donald R. Prothero, and he was somebody that claimed to be a sceptic, but said that he had found evidence that Bob could well have been employed, not by the government, but by a contractor's contractor. So uh, a subcontractor. Yeah. So an organization that was employed by the US government, but then farmed it out to another significant company based in the uh, Los Alamos area. Mm. I just found when, when he was talking about it, he, you know, he's quite, he's very with it with what he was saying. He he clearly believes what he's saying. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I've, I've read that his story had details of his story have changed over the years. So the, the, the crux of it remains the same, but there are elements like initially he had said that he had seen a, a gray alien being interrogated by government agents and that changed in later years to being that he'd seen the bodies of grey aliens, which I, I, I mean, the, the changing story, that's one, one thing that kind of puts a bit of scepticism around it. But the, some of the details around things that he was exposed to don't, don't really add up very much for me. So one thing that he said was that he spent, he, he was briefed on, he was given he was given briefing documents that contained 10,000 years of history of evidence of history of gray aliens being involved with the human race now we've only got 5,000 years of written history of the human race so i i don't i don't see how those two things can mesh up but he claims to have been exposed to this seen bodies of aliens as well as the other description being that he was told he was only allowed to work on one ship and see this one small area of the base those two things don't add up to me it sounds like he's wandering around opening doors all over the place or you know when you're a subcontractor who's hired for a 12-month contract they tell you the secrets of the universe and then then ask you very nicely not to tell anyone else and don't do anything to you if you do it just doesn't add up to me that doesn't i have seen clips of him and he looks he looks like a nice genteel kind of a guy do you know what I mean he's not he's not aggressive he's not particularly kind of extrovert is he 
so things that he does say do seem to come across in that kind of he, calm, he's, plausible way. But he, He's far more credible than some of the people that we've featured on Skeptics. Oh, yeah, yeah. He does not seem like a wacko in any way. No, and, he, and he, he, he has, he, when he speaks about things, he has the vernacular of an engineer. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that makes him very credible. When he talks about things, it's not that he's overtly technical, but he speaks about them in a way that, it, you know, he obviously clearly understands them. Yeah. I think for me, one of the, one of the kind of the red flags, going back to the Joe Rogan interview, is that, he he does seem to confuse some of the things that he said mm. previously, specifically around this, you know, the propulsion system, this element yeah. 115. And he subsequently claimed after the recording, because he made some statements on the podcast that flew in the face of earlier statements. And he, he did the kind of get out of jail free. Oh, I had a really bad migraine. And I, you know, as a result, I got quite, you know, quite confused. This is a guy who's yeah. made quite a lot of money over a long period of time. And been talking about this for 30 exactly. years. Yeah. Although he's not really done many interviews in the, the past kind of like 10, 15, 20 years. He's, he's probably because he's already bored. made his money out of it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. He's, that's it. He's on to the next thing now. Back to selling making, chemicals to Making murderers. fireworks. Is that what he's doing? Fireworks. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, like, for me, I don't know. I don't know. I, you, you, I want to believe him. Do you think you do believe him, though? I, I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or elements of it. Elements of it. Yeah. I mean, we all know this secret test facilities out in the Nevada desert. Yeah. I mean, if you, I, if you look around on Google Maps, so you can actually find stuff that Yeah, just but that doesn't, doesn't mean there's right. aliens in them. That's true, but that doesn't mean there isn't aliens in them. We're not doing that again. <laughs> The, Every time, I mean, that, that's one of, one of the issues with this is that there is not there is not any evidence that he's been able to produce. It's just eyewitness accounts that he has said have happened. Yeah, and yeah, he seems more credible than some people who claim to have seen aliens or or alien things. I mean, but I the, if if it was if if the story was. I was an engineer who was drafted in to help out with a a, a, a craft which I I don't know the origin of. And it was weird and it had this weird engine and I worked on it for six months and then I got sacked because I was blabbing to people about it. That part of it, I think, feels believable. He's also, you know, when he talks about things like the biometric scanner, they did have, they do have that at Area 51. People who work there are confirmed they've got that. But that doesn't mean it came from a spaceship. It, you know, the humans are quite ingenious. We create things ourselves. We don't have to steal stuff from aliens. But the the stuff that makes it fanciful and pushes it out of the realms of believability to me are things like this document that gives you a you know a brief history of time, ten thousand years of history of aliens visits in the Earth, and you know that th- he's getting this as part of his induction to come and work on a secret project that he's then told he's only allowed to know a tiny bit about, but they tell him absolutely fucking everything. It, it, that, that that just doesn't square away for me. Well, one thing that for me just was a bit of a telltale sign of a long story. And that is that, and I, I haven't got any sort of specifics for this, but he spent a long period of time with the guys when they were producing the Netflix documentary. And apparently at no point in the entire time that they spent together, did he mention that the, the space saucer that he was working on had stealth capability and on the Joe Rogan podcast he mentions from nowhere that when he stood underneath the the saucer that if he moved his head a certain way it totally vanished before his eyes something that he mentioned on Joe Rogan well, no. he said that's because of the gravitational field because he said the the, the the gravitational field that this propulsion system creates is like a he said like a the heart shape 
I mean, the collation of light. I yeah, think, yeah, and the, the, he said if you stood directly underneath it and looked up, you couldn't see it because the way that light was bending around it, but otherwise you would be able to see it. It's only when you stood right underneath it, which is where the propulsion system was pushing out from. But then thinking if you stood right underneath it, how come you didn't get vaporised, you know? Is it lasers? Is it being held up by lasers, well, Mike? But, it, but, it, but, he, but he said it was, what's he called it? He said it was... Uh, he said there was like an, a, a slight blue aura when it took off off the yeah. ground, but then that disappeared. But it was 100% it? efficient, he claims. And how you measure that with technology that you've never encountered before. That, but I, he, that I think, the, the fact that he's got these details is something that he, he, he says he doesn't understand, but he knows it's from some star system somewhere. He knows how it works and what shape the gravitational waves are that it generates. How do you measure that? I think a lot of paperwork must be left around Area 51. Like it, it's, like, it? it's, yeah. like a, it's like a Tory defence minister on a train. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, you know, he knows it was an antimatter reactor. Who's ever seen one of those before? How do you know that's People what it is? People who've worked at S4. Well, but how do they know it's that? Is anybody corroborating the fact that it was an of course anti-gravity? They're not. Of course they're not. No, no, so you've just got one man. Yeah. Who's and, made and, something up. And his, and his, and his partner <laughs> and in crime has it. disappeared as well. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we don't know where he's, yeah. What, where, where's Barry? Yeah. Could still be working there. I don't know. This, I mean, this is no surprise to you. I don't believe him. Oh, there's I, a surprise. I, yeah, you know, it, it's, I, there's I, there's elements of it that I think might be real. He might have worked in Area 51 as a contractor, but I don't think he was involved in anything that he said he was involved in. One of the things that did also really make me chuckle is he apparently got the role because the original person that was doing that role was was killed in a in an accident. And when he was asked to elaborate on, you know, what was the what was the accident apparently his predecessor was vaporized whilst using a plasma cutter to try and cut some of, One the, of these things open yeah he Amazing. said that's what, that's what barry alluded to anyway that's what barry said but vaporized you know, yeah. with a plasma cutter no apparently I think, so. I think the uh, I, I, the, the suggestion is the suggestion there was some kind of feedback from the from the from the the antimatter yeah. drive yeah, yeah. when he tried to cut it um, my guess is it was perhaps like oh, a, a, an interview question oh well you know who am i replacing well, Larry, who worked with Barry, he was vaporised, trying to cut into one of the spaceships. Yeah. Are you willing to work somewhere where you'll be vaporised? Well, the, the way he described <laughs> it was, uh, he said, if you went back to the Victorian times and gave the scientists like a nuclear engine and then they started picking it apart and then took the shielding off and then they all died from radiation poisoning. Okay. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying. That was kind of like the analogy you used. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's no surprise to anyone that I think he could be credible. You love it. Yeah, I love it. I want to believe. I want to believe as well. And he's, because he's, he's less He does come across crazy. very well. Yeah, he's not like these batshit people who are like, oh yes, Zeblon Efflux turned up and he took me, he took me into the moon and we watched the earth. He looks a little bit like Stephen King though. He, he does. does. He, he does, does look a bit look like Stephen King. King. King yeah. But um, R.I.P. Stephen King's dead, isn't he? No, no he's not. He's not. Well, don't worry about I'll it. I'll tell that back. Sorry, I'll leave Stephen. That in. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> Is he not? Finger in the pulse of uh, great authors. Lisa's yeah. just looking forward to this Christmas, getting the new Roald Dahl book, but just, just got to wait for him to finish writing that one. Oh, dear me. Okay. So Lisa, what's your take on it? My take is, oh, he's got to be talking absolute nonsense, hasn't he? He is. I think he's talking nonsense. I don't, I'm not even sure if he worked there. It all sounds way too implausible for my liking. I don't, I don't like it. I mean, it's not. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's made a little bit of dollar out of it, but I think he's got himself neck deep. It's not a wildly fantastical story. It's not like the Dulcy Bass one where, you know, it's like, oh, there's gunfights happening between greys and and lizard people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he's a 
the, the the story that like i said the basics of it i was hired to work at area 51 and they let me work on this weird spaceship thing and it had a weird you know uh quantum drive or whatever it is that we couldn't figure out you know and i saw him fly it about a bit that would be that in isolation would be quite believable especially you know coupled with the fact that he knew about the scanners yeah, yeah, they yeah, use yeah. the base and all that kind of stuff it's all the other stuff it's all the embellishments all the unnecessary nonsense about you know the the the, the dead aliens or the alien being interrogated or whichever way around you want to look at it he surely if he was an engineer brought in to look at a ship and help him figure it out. He would not, if he wasn't allowed to look at the other ships, he would not have been allowed to go and look at aliens. And surely mm. you're not going to keep aliens in the same place that you keep the spacecraft. That's, that's just, a, for trouble, that's just yeah. a recipe for them buggering off, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you'd probably have them in S5, <laughs> wouldn't you, down the road? Yeah. Why? Well, you know, it doesn't make sense, does it? S5 sounds like a bar. And if they're being interrogated, I mean, you know, I don't know what interrogated means in, in Area 51 terms, but, you know, are they kind of, I don't know. It it's where they bring in the, the psychic interrogators to telepathically, you know, mess with them. No, I'm not. Okay, fine. No. Because <laughs> let's be honest, let's be honest. If, if... The waterboarding if aliens. If aliens are real, which I think they are. They are real. And the universe is infinitely large. Exactly. Uh, but if alien beings were on the planet and they could communicate telepathically, it would suggest that their race have been communicating telepathically for millennia. And there's no way some crackpot who can make a, a goat heart stop with mere thought would be able to out telepath, you know, a being who's been able to do that for I think, I th centuries. I think, I think we've been a bit unfair to Bob here. He's not, he's not the goat heart stopper. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, like Bob's got talents. Talent? Talents. Oh. He's got talents. He's Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar, the man who put a jet engine in a car. <laughs> you can't do that without no skills. Well, that's true. He also founded a pyrotechnic empire that made an awful lot of money with, a, yeah. with a, de a Desert Storm brand firework that was in, I think, Modern Scientist magazine. It, the, the problem with this one is I feel really conflicted. This is probably the most conflicted I've felt because there's there is elements of it I do actually believe. What? Yeah. The flying saucer? I think that this is the thing. There's an, there's enough of it and because it's not presented in an overtly crazy way. Yeah. It makes me think there's some credence to some of the yeah. things he's talking about. Much in the same way. I know it's, it's not, obviously, now... I know I'm talking about alien spacecraft here, but like during the Second World War, we got our hands on enemy aircraft and the enemy got their hands on our aircraft. Yeah. And we took them apart and we learned and we how took they them apart and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And who's to say that that hasn't happened with visitors from another dimension or another world? I am. I am to say. Well, that's, that's, that's your, where it stops. That's your prerogative well, as for, a skeptic. Yeah, for me it is at least. I, I mean, I like, and, and, and and even even if you accept that he was working on a, on a on a saucer, I'd still be more inclined to think that that is the first option that you said, something that has been captured from another nation that has created that, not from extraterrestrial visitors. Mm. You know, I've said it before. If 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 aliens had the technology to get here, we would already all be working for them, or being eaten, or boiled alive, or you know, they'd have fried our skin to make intergalactic KFC. You've watched if, far if, too many 1950 sci-fi films. If, <laughs> if, if they had that level of advanced technology, we would not be able to do anything. We'd not be able to shoot one out of the sky. I'll tell you that. They would be 
you know, they, they'd be f- so far advanced that we can't even comprehend what they could do. Oh, absolutely. I do agree with that. I also think as well, the, the other thing that we kind of have to kind of, I don't think it's another rogue nation because just purely based on the defect, I mean, I think we're coming to a point now where potentially China has parity in terms of like defence yeah. technology with the US. But going back to when, you know, when this is alleged, we're kind of like mid 80s and they certainly wouldn't have. You know, if we if we go back even further, you know, the advancements that, you know, the US saw was as, was as a result of getting, you know, the hands on kind of prominent Nazis, you know, the people who were making the V2 rocket. Like Oppenheimer. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think another country, well, we, don't, don't, have, we yeah. don't have a Wakanda as far as I'm aware <laughs> that's technologically not see, the you that's all it is what's to say that it's not they're not just prototype vessels that the US were building to test out it's true, I, I, true. The, the assumption that it's aliens and the tying into him actually seeing aliens and being given this history docket uh, uh, that that bit just destroys the credibility of it for me because I, I don't believe it fundamentally and I think that's going to be a very difficult thing to ever convince me of otherwise I again I can see this from both sides. Like I feel very like I'm pretty centrally on the fence with this one. What I would then sort of ask as a, just as an open question to everybody is what, what would the Pentagon have to gain by declassifying the, you know, the footage that they shared in 2020? The Tic Tac footage. Well, there's, there's the, the, from the F-18 where they, yeah. they had well, that. Well, there's, there's three bits of video. Craft yeah, flying yeah. super fast. There's, there's quite the, a few, aren't there? Yeah. The, yeah where they're kind of like, they're trying to lock onto it and they're like, yeah, then, then they yeah, get yeah, excited yeah, yeah. and they go, yeah, I've got him, I've got him. And it's flying and it's doing so all that, kinds of that, things. So yeah, but the, the pilot that captured that footage was saying that the what, what they captured was travelling at a ridiculous speed at very low level above the sea and then just kind of zipped off. And when fighter pilots, like they have kind of like plotted courses that they have to go to, but when they're doing some training, they may not know what the next point is until it's then radioed through to them. So they were then told where the next kind of like muster point was and they flew to it and this thing was already there waiting for them. And it, it was a, a very long distance. I think uh, I'm pretty much sure someone said it was Oh, like so they'd a, seen it. It was like 60 tra- miles. They'd seen it in transit. Then they yeah. were told where to go next. And then that thing was already and there. It was already there. Oh, and they okay. were like, there is no way that knew where they were going because they didn't even know themselves. I have seen it. it is, I do actually. I mean, there's no, there's not a lot of explaining it away. I don't think that footage that is. No. It is pretty. But they, you know, they like, they like to drip feed us this stuff, don't they? Just to keep us on our toes. Because I you know? can't, you I, can't just dump. If you just, if Joe Biden held a press conference and said, hey world, guess what? We've been in contact with aliens for the past 50 years. Because, We're not alone. Because they Society would collapse. Because they haven't been in contact with aliens for 50 years or for a thousand years or 10,000 years like Bob Lazar thinks. They, the, these things are unidentified. They don't know what they are. That's well, the point. They don't call them UFOs anymore either, apparently. They call them advanced aerial phenomena. Yeah. So, you know, could be any number of things. They don't know what it is. They'll try and figure it out. Here's, here's a conspiracy theory for you. Okay, it's time for me to throw one into the mix. Maybe the reason why they drip feed this stuff and keep everybody who's a little bit into... Careful. Every, Careful what you're saying. Yeah, 
everybody who's into, you know, things that are a bit off center, you know, like aliens and UFOs and ghosts and all that stuff, you know, like you guys, is to keep you distracted from using that for something useful and actually finding out what they're really up to. So you're talking about the, are you talking about the real lizard people? The real lizard people. The real Larry lizard. The global elite. Bob Lizard. (laughs) There you go. Hiding in plain sight. Brilliant. So on that bombshell, let's call it a day on this podcast. So thanks ever so much for listening. Please do subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have, and you're still listening, Thanks very much. Um, you can contact us on email at skepticsandbelieverspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, which is S and B pod number one, or on Instagram, which is Skeptics Believers Pod. So next week we will be discussing the interesting story of the Green Briar ghost, the ghost that solved its own murder. So until then, please do take care of yourselves. This podcast has been brought to you by Obsidian Shark Productions. The music featured in this podcast can be found at freemusicarchive.org and is used under the Creative Commons license. More details can be found on our website. Music